So welcome back to the Movie Babble podcast. Uh, this week, you've got myself, Colin, and I'm joined by Brennan. Uh, Nick is out this week, but how are you doing, Brennan? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I mean, it's been a little bit since it's been just you and me, uh, but it, it's great to be back on the Movie Babble podcast again. Uh, no Nick. It's, uh, I wonder what he's up to. But he was uh, re-watching the Snyder Cut. Uh, I think this is the second or third time. But uh, well, maybe maybe next week he'll be he'll be ready to move on. Um, but yeah, we have some big stuff to talk about. Um, we're we're starting to get into just kind of the big blockbuster season. Uh, been a minute since we had one of those. Um, so before we jump into new content, um, I just want to touch on Avatar taking the highest grossing film of all time title back. Um, it had a Chinese release, which has done just astoundingly well um so it only needed uh just shy of eight million to take the record back and it's currently pulled in about 45 million um in china these past few weeks so it's it is again the world record holder at 2.833 billion uh which is pretty impressive gives it a pretty good lead on avengers um you know i won't be surprised if endgame um get some re-releases and, and slowly makes its way up the field again, but Avatar is back on top. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, um, this is an interesting thing because at the end of the day, they're both Disney films now, uh, D Disney property, right? Uh, because of that Disney acquisition of Fox. So at the end of the day, it's Disney raking in all the money, but it is uh, very interesting to kind of look at this, like the two biggest movies of all time, technically. Um, and, and really, I mean, like the, the the dynamic here is that both these movies landed really close, right? When Endgame passed Avatar, it was truly because like, it was just truly razor thin. And you knew this was going to happen at some point. And I think all we're going to see is re-release after re-release kind of taking uh, these movies back and forth to the number one and number two spots. Um, I think James Cameron's going to probably want it to hit 3 billion now. <laughs> <laughs> up at 2.833 i mean that's it's, it he's got a little bit to go there but 40 million dollars from a re-release in china there that's pretty big and it's the indicator as well as to how um energized the chinese uh, market is right now in terms of movie watching and you know what i think if a re-release is making 45 million in china i think they're going to be very optimistic about the numbers for avatar 2 in china like i, I think that's what that is like that for me, that looks like a great precursor for how that movie could do in China. Like it could, it could do a lot if a re-release is making uh, 45 million. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And there are a lot of people complaining about this, a lot of MCU stands complaining <laughs> about this. But you got to remember, Endgame overtook Avatar because of a mini re-release with four minutes of extra footage, right? Like there was that little cut that came out a few months after that had like a Stan Lee thing and had like, uh, some bloopers had like that unfinished Hulk scene that was like so weird at the end. <laughs> like, it, so so these things happen. I mean, some people say you should only count the first run. I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I agree with that. I, I I'm good with counting anything that's seen. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 interesting, and I think we knew this was going to happen at some point. Yeah, um, and I think that is a good thing to note because it's not like Avengers just did this in one go. Um, whereas Avatar was just in theaters for an eternity, and it did actually get a, a little mini re-release um, towards the end of its run as well. Um, but those things are pretty natural, and I think the rules are a little bit different if the movie is still in theaters pretty widely. So when Endgame got its re-release, it was still playing in most of the theaters it was returning to. 
Uh, whereas now with Avatar being in China, you know, this is a movie that hasn't played in theaters for a while. And so now it's coming back and, you know, this is more of a re-release in the, the traditional sense. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's just numbers. Um, Disney's pocketing the money from both of them either way. <laughs> so, um, but I do like that James Cameron uh, has the title again. So he's held it. Um, with the exception of last year, he's held highest grossing film <laughs> for 22 years um, since Titanic. And then he he took it from himself with Avatar and and now he's got the crown back. So it's kind of cool to see that. Yeah, for sure. And would you agree? Do you think this is a good sign for them with Avatar 2 potentially in China? Yeah, I, I think one of the concerns with Avatar is that people are like people and Nick and I have talked about this and I'm sure you've um, have had similar sentiments. Is the Avatar is a movie that, you know, it, it made a ton of money. It, it really pushed visual effects, but nobody really talks about it um, in the sense of looking back fondly at it. You know, even even Endgame, you still got, you know, the Marvel machine going and that film is still very much in the conversation. Um, even this week, I've seen a ton of tweets uh, just throwing it back to the uh, opening night reactions where, you know, Captain America grabs the hammer. Um, you don't really see that with Avatar. So I think this proves that Avatar is still something that people want to see. Um, you know, will that still be the case when Avatar 2 comes out in 45 years? I don't know. <laughs> but um, it's, it's a good sign for that franchise. Yeah, I'd agree 100%. And, you know, I think for me, I'm the person that has the hypothesis that Avatar 2 is going to make a ton of money out of intrigue. And then it's really going to be who knows with the rest of them. But uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens, as you said, 45 years from now when Avatar 2 finally premieres. The, uh, the real winner here is Zoe Saldana, who is winning either way. Like she's in, <laughs> in the highest grossing movie of all time, whichever one holds the title. So it's cool to see that. Yeah, she's, uh, she, she, she landed some good roles there. Uh, but yeah, that is, that is Avatar. Uh, maybe someday we'll have a pod talking about how Endgame takes it back from having it taken back. Uh, but for now, we'll, we'll jump into the big one. Uh, so this week was the debut of the long-awaited Snyder Cut, uh, or Zack Snyder's Justice League, as it's uh, initially called. Um, and yeah, this movie's here in all its four-hour and two-minute glory. Um, so this movie was pretty notoriously changed uh, by WB and by Joss Whedon um, after Zack Snyder unfortunately had to to leave the project um, to, to be with his family. Um, it was a very tragic scenario, um, just what was happening with him personally. Um, and then the movie came out and there were all sorts of reports coming out um, in, the, in the following months, just talking about how much it changed and, and how different the vision was. And you can see a lot of ways they were trying to force um, the DCEU into the, the MCU style. Um, and so it was rumored for years, um, every now and then, like Jason Momoa or Zack Snyder would just like post a picture of a film canister. We like, are you saying it doesn't exist? Um, and then last year they announced it. They said HBO Max Snyder cuts on its way, um, and it is here. Uh, so is this something that you were looking forward to? Um, I mean, I think the intrigue of it has to have everyone interested. Um, I haven't really been the biggest in the DCEU. Like, it's it's not something that I, um, I'm like a, the the biggest diehard fan of. But I think they have some good movies here and there. I will be checking this out at some point. I did want to watch some of the older ones first because I think Batman v 
man, I haven't seen it since theaters. Um, and I didn't watch the extended cut that they put out. Man of Steel, I haven't seen since theaters. Um, and Wonder Woman 84, I haven't seen yet because I'm just waiting till that big old price tag of 25 bucks uh, <laughs> on VOD drops for me because there's no, no theaters that I could have checked it out in. So I'm just kind of wanting to watch some of those before I do dive into this four-hour epic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it, it's something that I'm like, whenever it, it dropped a few days ago and just in the days leading up me as someone who's kind of an impartial bystander to this movement, it was exciting to see people get excited. Um, I think that's the main thing. Like, like there's so many people on the internet that are just so, so hyped about this and people that have watched it multiple times already. I mean, I don't know how you can do that, but <laughs> it's, it's interesting. And it's, I think it's, it's cool and it's good for movies. It's good for pop culture. I think it's good. I think it's good in that respect. Um, but if the movie's good, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to wait to see. But uh, you, you watched it. So what did you what did you take away from this? So interestingly enough, before we jumped into Justice League completely, uh, they did not give Armand White a review copy, which is astounding. And for those of you who uh, don't know who Armand White is, he's the critic that took away Toy Story 3's 100% fresh rating uh, back in 2010. He called Man of Steel the godfather of superhero movies. Um, he praised Batman v Superman. He's basically the, <laughs> the antithesis to movie criticism. Like whatever the industry agrees with, he's the opposite. Um, and it was baffling that they did not reach out to him. Like he was refused <laughs> a, uh, a chance to preview it and put his thoughts in the world beforehand. And so... Um, I, I'm really looking forward to those before I make my final verdict on this movie. Uh, I just want to get that out there before <laughs> we jump in. <laughs> so um, I, I revisited all the DC movies uh, or the DCEU movies this week as well. Um, just kind of on that note, I hadn't seen, I think I've seen Justice League once since, the, since it came out on, on Blu-ray and whatnot. Um, I hadn't seen Batman v Superman or Man of Steel in probably three years either. Um, so it was like watching a lot of these for the first time again. Um, and what I found is my opinion of Batman v Superman actually went up a little bit. Because um, even though I don't think it comes together at all, I think it's much more ambitious than the Justice League that we got in 2018 or uh, more ambitious than Man of Steel even. And so I'm not a Zack Snyder fan. Um, I'm not really a DCEU fan. Uh, the only one that I really like return to is Shazam. Um, although I did like Aquaman better watching it for the second time, uh, the first time since theaters uh, this past week. Um, and I admittedly, I was pretty excited for the Snyder Cut. Um, you know, it, it is an event. It's this big thing um, that we haven't really had anything like this before. You know, this is a four hour uh, recut that is the director's vision that quite literally was taken from him by the studio and, and by another director. So I was, I was excited for that uh, proponent of it, uh, but it's just not very good. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's good in the sense that it fixes some of the things that we didn't get to see in, in the original theatrical cut. Um, so the biggest change is that cyborg is a key player, whereas in the theatrical cut, he's just kind of on the sidelines, um, adjacent to the action most of the time. And so there, there are three characters, I think, that they do a legitimately 
astoundingly better job with. And that is Cyborg, that is The Flash, and that is Steppenwolf. Um, so Steppenwolf in the theatrical cut just kind of says mother a lot and then punches things. Um, and this one, he, he's, he's got a lot more grounding. Um, so you see him just kind of playing off of Darkseid and Dasad and some of the other new god characters. Um, and you can see him as basically like this kid who just wants to come back home. Um, and everyone's telling him no. And so, so he's given a much more depth. Um, he's given a cooler design. Uh, I don't personally think the CGI really comes off very well on him or on Cyborg, but it, it still happens. <laughs> um, and then Cyborg has much more to do. You get to explore his family relationships a lot more. You get to explore just his motivations a lot more. Um, there's less of an ex machina kind of role. So he's not just showing up whenever the plot calls for it, even though there is still one scene in particular um, where he just like does something because the plot requires it to, and there's no better way to make things happen. Um, but he's much more grounded. And then the flash is much less of a wimp. Like in the theatrical cut, he just kind of whines and is like, I just push people and run away. Um, and in this movie, you don't really have that kind of just cowardice. There's still a lot of hesitation there, um, but he's like a much more, stabilized hero like he 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 knows he's signed up for the hero gig um and you get to see him a use his powers more creatively um and more powerfully and b just like be a more interesting grounded character like he's actually um you you can see where he's coming from more and where he's going to um so those are the things i really really liked um there are many more things i did not like so i'll go for the low-hanging fruit uh that's the aspect ratio i don't know if you've heard about that <laughs> yeah that was funny i saw i think the day it came out i saw those pictures start coming out on twitter isn't it like it's the very first shot of the movie or something like that uh yeah so my hbo max viewing didn't have that um, okay interesting but like you i'd seen all the all the memes or well i thought they were memes when i saw them i was like that can't be real <laughs> um um but no lo and behold um the movie is actually in a 4-3 aspect ratio uh which for people at home that uh don't really care about aspect ratios 4-3 is typically what like, older tv would be in um or even older movies um before the dawn of tv um might might have been in um it was a lot more common then and you know i'm not i'm not one of those people that gets really caught up in aspect ratios um you know i i think for the most part the, it's the director's choice right i'm not going to complain because somebody shot their film in this particular style so i think the lighthouse was kind of the last um big more popular movie shot in a modern time to really go for that differing aspect ratio um but my issue with justice league is you can very easily tell that this movie was not shot <laughs> with this aspect ratio in mind um it comes across as a very late <laughs> in the editing process decision um so there are a lot of action sequences in particular where the action is cut off from hmm. what's actually happening um so you're missing a character's head um or there's one scene where uh hippolyta or Hi hippolyta wonder woman's mom is holding an arrow on fire and you can't see the tip of it that's on fire because of the aspect ratio change um and i'm just kind of baffled as why they went with four three uh because there are aspect ratios that give you that same kind of imposing height 
which is supposedly what this was for to make the characters seem taller, make the action seem larger. And I get that. Um, but most HDTVs, IMAX, which has been kind of the de facto excuse for this is, oh, he was trying to match the IMAX aspect ratio, um, except he's not using the IMAX aspect ratio, which allows for that same height, um, but also takes full advantage of the width of <laughs> a, uh, the width of modern TVs. So that's the 1.9 to one aspect ratio um, that is much larger, gives you that same imposing height, but still takes advantage of just the natural way our eyes look at things, which is laterally, not vertically. Um, so I, I'm not sure why they went with 4.3. I don't think it really works. It's really distracting um, for me watching it on an HDTV um, when it's you know a movie that was clearly not shot um, for this particular format. Um, so I, I will just scratch my head at that till the end of time. Yeah. Um, that was funny though. I just kind of briefly just mentioning that blue screen at the, like what we were seeing on Twitter, essentially <laughs> just that line, this film was shot in four three, the way Zack Snyder intended it to be or something like that. My only guess is that like maybe HBO max was like, well, a lot of people will watch this four hour movie on their phones. And so maybe if you hold your phone vertically, it makes sense because then it would fit neatly into the sides. But I just, I don't understand at what point in the process they were like, hey, we need to do it this way. And I would assume it probably had something to do with being able to cut what all they needed to master effects-wise because you're cutting a lot of the action on the side. So you don't have as much to worry about in the background and you can really just focus on the foreground. So I'm wondering if that might be the issue or if just because they weren't really allowed to reshoot existing sequences, they were like, you know what, we're just gonna work around it, drop some black boxes in, <laughs> cut the sides off and then, then go from there. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it is certainly an interesting decision. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I do wanna ask you though, personally, I mean, do you think that, two questions, uh, first one being, do you think that this, goes anywhere do you think Zack Snyder is able to make more DCU movies do you think that this core group of people despite a Matt Reeves Batman coming despite talk or despite Henry Cavill saying like yeah I'm done um do you think that there is um a, a, a possibility now that Zack Snyder revives this franchise with this group of people or do you think this is more of a swan song I think this is more of a swan song I think we really missed the moment for this you know had this come out in 27 or yeah 2017 um been this hyped up been this successful um then yeah maybe um but when this movie originally came out you know it made significantly less than anything marvel put out that year justice league topped out um in the mid to to late 600 millions which for an ensemble movie uh, featuring the three most popular superhero movies of all or superheroes of all time <laughs> to earn 657.9 million while Thor and um, Spider-Man Homecoming and um, whatever the third MCU movie that year was, oh, Guardians, all made over a billion. Um, just proved that people don't really <laughs> jump towards this kind of thing as much as they do um, with later movies. And even like Aquaman came out a year later and doubled the earnings of Justice League. Um, and that is one of the frustrating things about the Snyder Cut is because it sets up a lot um, like after the movie ends, there's about half an hour of just setting up other things, um, which is where all those uh, 
reshoots that took place last fall happen is this big one sequence with all these people sitting on a highway basically and then talking to each other um so it sets up a lot that we'll never see which is kind of irritating because there's a lot that very much should have been cut um from justice league i think if this had been trimmed down to even a three-hour movie you could have kept the core elements um which unfortunately for non-cyborg steppenwolf and the flash characters haven't really changed at all um between cuts i think you really could have cut this into something worthwhile um mm. instead of over promising on things that won't really happen but i mean the creative team behind all these pursuits is kind of gone um you know Zack snyder's said he's kind of done henry cavill and superman are supposedly being rebooted uh ben affleck is doing the flash and then he's out michael keaton's taken over um and unfortunately i just don't see him as a 75 year old man being able to <laughs> perform a lot of the same stunts um so it does very much feel like a swan song swan song in that regard yeah and i mean it's uh it's interesting though to definitely talk about and uh the other question though do you think so so the fans kind of push for this and that's why it happened right the, the release this the snyder cut was just such a big push and it was smart for them to do it with HBO Max. But do you think this is something that we see happen more often? Fans demanding different cuts and them coming out? I mean, I, I don't think so personally, but what's your take on that? I don't think so. I think a lot of what you have going for this is that there is a very devoted fan base to Zack Snyder's DC movies, first off. And then Warner Brothers has also just had ridiculously bad press because everything um, coming out about Joss Whedon and about the production and about the way um, WB just kind of took control from Zack Snyder and, and treated Ray Fisher and just all these problems. I think this was Warner Brothers trying to get back in people's good graces um, at the mm -hmm. same time. And you couple that with kind of the fanatic following that Zack Snyder has. I mean, there's a reason we got the Snyder cut of Justice League and not the Trank cut of Fantastic Four, because um, you're right. just dealing with a very very unique situation um so as cool as it would be to you know like see the the uh colin trevorrow cut of rise of skywalker that's never going to happen um i i think this is a one and done kind of situation and i think it's also something that hbo max has kind of struggled to pull in subscribers and i think this is their big play to really turn things around uh, so I, I don't necessarily see other companies doing that with any of their uh troubled properties yeah i mean on the good side i guess the consensus is that it is an improvement right from from what people got in 2017 so i think this is like you're going out to a restaurant right you order a piece of pie in 2017 and they bring out a moldy piece of pie right you're not going to eat that you don't really want it well now in 2020 you go to the same restaurant you do the same order they bring you a piece of pie, but this time it's microwaved. It's still got mold on it. It's the same piece of pie. It's just slightly warmer. Uh, so it's not really good. It's just somewhat better. Um, <laughs> like it, it didn't really have a very high bar to leap over. So I, I did enjoy a lot of this movie. I do think it is one of the stronger entries in the DCEU. Um, and I think you know, a couple of years down the line, if I ever revisit them again, which I probably will, um, I'm going to go to this one and not the theatrical cut. But 
it, it's not something that I'm like, yeah, this is one of the best comic book movies of all time. This is, you know, topping my 2021 list. Um, mm-hmm. this, is, this is a movie I feel very lukewarm about. Um, it's just, it, it, it exists. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to see it. Um, it's cool that it exists um, in any state. Uh, it's still a very flawed movie, but it, it's cool to see Zack Snyder get to, you know, give his vision and really kind of close out that trilogy of the DCEU. Yeah. Um, so before we move on to the movie Babble Club, I think that's what we're, we're calling the uh, new segment. Uh, Nick had a couple words he wanted me to throw in on the Snyder Cut. Uh, so I'm going to cue that audio clip. This is not a movie. It is a film. Never have I seen such an auteur exercise in the avant-garde. Zack Snyder is clearly the greatest living director, and Justice League is his magnum opus. I would encourage everyone wasting their time on Marvel trash and whining about Martin Scorsese to take in this masterpiece. Never before have I wept when presented with such beauty. This film is a turning point in cinematic history. Decades from now, we will only recognize cinema before Zack Snyder's Justice League and cinema after Zack Snyder's Justice League. This is not just my Black Panther. This is my soul embodied by the frame. I think Nick was spot on. Those are some some really wise <laughs> words um, that he just dropped. Really puts. Yeah, I feel like I don't have to. <laughs> I feel like I don't even have to watch it. Now. I mean, I'm just I hear those words, and that's uh, that's all I have to know about this thing. Yeah. So. I mean, if I can even say anything as eloquent about our next topic. Um, yeah, um, so, so for the Movie Babble Club is, I guess, what we're calling it. Um, we're each picking a, a movie each week. Um, all two of us or three of us are watching it um, and then talking about it. Uh, so these are movies that none of us have seen before. Um, in the case of all three of these movies, including the one I picked a couple of weeks ago, I'd never heard of any of them before. Um, so it's been it's been a really good blind watch. Um, and now that we've done a, a full rotation, um, it's really interesting to just see the different kinds of stuff we're gravitating towards. I don't know about you. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know if we have a title yet. I mean, I, I, I like it's uh, it's funny. I think Nick's been liking that we are kind of throwing different names around every week uh, for this. I think last week I called it book club, but with a movie or something like that. <laughs> Uh, I think I pitched shared cinema at some point, but it sounds kind of snooty. The the further away <laughs> I get from the pitch, the less I like it. So we'll I like that. Out. It's good. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. I think we're so we're full rotation through now. Everyone's put in at least one. So this is my week. Um, yeah, I do like the the difference in what we've seen so far. We've seen movies now. I think each one is approximately 20 years apart, which is kind of cool. I think 50s, 70s, almost 90s. Um, I'm a little off with the numbers there, but they're uh, it, it's relatively close. So yeah, close this enough. week, yeah, this week I picked a, a Studio Ghibli movie called *The Grave of the Fireflies*. So this film came out in 1988. Um, you have a good director here in Iso Taikahata, who is a director who has had a very successful career. This is one of his uh, bigger movies, I would say. He's done a lot of movies there. Um, but this is one of his bigger ones. I know he got nominated for an Oscar in 2013 for The Tale of Princess Kagawa. So that's another very popular anime film. Um, and that's the last movie he actually directed. So 
so yeah, he's been successful. He passed away in 2018, but he 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 lived a very successful life, great career. So I picked this movie really just because I was looking at um, some of their films, uh, a very popular studio over there in Japan, very popular anime studio. And this is one of the ones that kind of popped out to me. And I just kind of wanted to check it out. It, it had some good reviews, uh, stuff like that. It's a, it's a heavy movie, though. It is. Um, kind of before we dive into it a little, what's your kind of first take on, on this film? Uh, so I went in completely blind. Um... With, with the exception of like the one sentence synopsis um, that, that Hulu provides, which I think gives you enough info to be like, here's a basic premise, but really um, lets you discover most of the movie um, without really knowing what's going to happen. Um, but I had a really strong reaction to this. Um, just the end of this movie, um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into it a little bit, um, it's just a real gut punch. Um, and it's, it's beautifully acted, um, beautifully written. Uh, it's very heartfelt, just focusing on this really intimate uh, sibling relationship. And but man, I, I was just moved. Um, that's probably the, the grandest way I can put it. Um, it just struck me uh, as a person. No, certainly. It's, it's a tough movie. So essentially, it's a World War II kind of uh, tragedy type movie um and it, it just kind of follows two uh children in japan one seems to be i'd say a teenage boy the other one a younger girl maybe um and and they're just as as you watch through the film i mean constantly there's air raids right bombs are going down it's world war ii in japan and they are kind of on the move um they kind of you kind of see them throughout the movie place to place the situation gets worse it progressively gets worse they start in their kind of village, their mother's there, stuff like that. Um, the air raids come and just constantly they have to find new shelter and just things continually get worse for them. And it's it's sad to watch uh, this movie, but I think the relationship, as you said, between those two characters there, um, the two siblings, I think it is beautiful to watch. Um, it's, it's heartfelt for sure. And it does lead up to that ending that is uh, pretty tough. But yeah, I, I found this movie to be, so it's a very humanistic look at war, right? Like it's it's kind of, it, it wants to show you the effects of war, but really not show you the war part of it. I mean, you see the bombs come down, you see the air raids, but it really is about these two siblings and about what they go through. And I think that's very special and unique. Um, but yeah, so how did you find, I guess I'll say just kind of that progression uh, kind of from the start where they were in this movie to where they get to in the end. How did you find watching that? I really liked that this movie starts off very sobering. Um, so, so death is always, that stench of death is always just hanging around every corner um, in this movie, but they, they start off with uh, the death of the main character. Um, it, it's the first scene um, and it really grounds you into what this is going to be. Um, but I really like it because although it, it starts off on this very sobering, um, very final note, it, it then lightens up um, as we start to go forward. So, so even when um, there's bombings going on and starvation going on, it's this very sweet movie um, at its core of the love between a brother and his little sister, um, who he's, he's basically having to be the surrogate parent for. Um, and it never loses sight of that. So that, that relationship really maintains it. Um, the entire movie and 
it just it draws you in first of all and it also keeps you invested and, and makes just kind of the final punches when you see okay this is how we get to where we started from and just as like you said we're watching war unfold uh, but we're not watching soldiers right nobody's firing guns or hmm. or uh storming beaches we're watching what happens to the people adjacent to war um, who are kind of picking up the slack um of daily life while everybody's fighting um and i think it it says some really beautiful things, um, but it also says some really harrowing things. Um, and just, it, it is very much a tragedy, um, but it never lets you forget that. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think, I, I mean, looking at the beginning of the movie when they really do kind of unveil the ending and then show you know, get, how they get there after that, I think it was right to do that. I think it'd be too much of a punch if they didn't do that. <laughs> like, I think they really had to. Um, but yeah, you're right. And you know what? This movie is very universal, in my opinion. I think it's one that can be applied to so many different people because war is everywhere. Even today, bombs are dropped in, in many countries. So I, I do think it is a movie that will always stay relevant, personally. I think um, people will experience this forever, sadly. And it's, it is it is something that I do find to be very universal. Um, it was an interesting blind watch, though. I mean, I for me, even like I, I was just looking at movies from the studio that I did want to check out at some point, and it's not one that I, um, it's not one that I knew really anything about. I knew that it was supposedly sad and really good. That's all I knew. <laughs> um, and then we watch it. I mean, that's what you get. But it is beautiful. It was good, and uh, it's. I, I'm glad we 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 checked it out for sure. Yeah. So, did you do the uh, the dubbed or the subtitled version of this? Movie? Yeah. So. Um, I will get a bit of hate for this, I think. So I, I, I never do dub because I just don't, I, I, I like the authentic version, but I had no way to find that. So I had to do the dub. Um, Ooh. Very sad, very sad. So I'm just very against dubbing. I think it's, it's, I mean, you just read the subtitles. It's very normal. It's very authentic. But uh, sadly, I don't have access to that. I know you watched on Hulu, as you said, um, which has, you said, options for both. Yeah, so I went with subtitled, um, and I, I think, I don't know, I don't, I don't think there's a perfect um, watch if you're watching a movie in a different language, because um, e either way, you're going to be a little bit distracted. Um, so I would honestly like to check out the dubbed version at some point, um, just because then, yeah, you'll be a little bit more audibly distracted, but visually, you're not having to read anything. Um, you can really just take in the frame, and I think, I think that's even more important in an animated movie. Um, because everything is much more intentional. There's, you know, nothing happens that isn't directly designed to happen uh, or intended to happen. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment as well. It's just, I, I, it was too bad because I did recommend it, uh, wanting to watch the uh, <laughs> just authentic, just subtitled version. And then when I got on to uh, purchase the rental there, it only had the option for the dub. I'm like, oh no, but it is what it is. And it was still obviously very enjoyable. Um, didn't I don't, I don't think it would hinder my experience at all I, I think it was still a great uh great watch and, and a worthy one as well one that i'll remember um very good film though uh it's, it's pretty short as well it's less than 90 minutes i think it's 88 89 minutes so it's certainly one that everyone can check out and for me i mean this is a studio that everyone compares to pixar as kind of like japan's offering or kind of like the, the other animated studio in the world that rivals pixar for me this is a this is an area where pixar i think would never go like this is a very deep movie it's very heavy and I, i've watched some of their other movies and they're not quite like this i think they're willing to be as a studio a little bit darker with their um 
subject matter than than Pixar has been, but I do appreciate an animated film that does go these lengths. Yeah, and I think the real difference is that that Pixar will take its characters to a dark place um, fairly often, but it doesn't really take the world to a dark place um, quite like this movie does. Um, and so Grave of the Fireflies has these two pretty pure, lighthearted characters for the most part that are just immersed in this dark and frankly cruel world. Um, and so you, you have these two innocents trying to, to grapple with a lot of people that are just so abused by the war that they don't really care anymore. Um, and people that do care and don't really have the resources to do anything with it, and people that are just so used to tragedy that it's just an average day for them. Um, and so it's it's those elements that I I think their refusal to kind of hold back on are really what makes this movie work. Whereas, you know, if you try to do this with an American studio, um, particularly like the big ones like Pixar, I don't think you would go that far with it. Yeah, no, I agree. I do agree. One thing I find interesting about just watching movies blindly is checking out afterwards how big of an impact they've left. So I did that right away. And this movie was pretty big. I mean, it, it's, it's made a big impact. I know uh, I'm just kind of looking at lists that it's landed on. And there are several people that rank it as um, like several big like Empire here magazine. They rank it as one of the best war films of all time. Um, World War II movie, it's up there on a lot of lists. It's one of the better movies of all time. Roger Ebert put it on one of his greatest films of all time list. So it, I, I didn't know that, but it has made quite the impact and it's, it is pretty popular. So I think that's, uh, it's interesting to know. I mean, it's always fun <clears throat> just when you blindly watch a movie to afterwards, see this movie's story outside of the film, just kind of see how it had its impact on uh, people and on society. I think that's always a fun aspect of this, um, what we're doing here with Movie Babble. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely something that I'm glad you recommended because this isn't something that I would have really probably been exposed to um, independently. Um, so so even if you didn't come into it with a huge connection to it, um, you you still opened the cinema door, um, so to say. Um, and so I'm really glad because um, it's it's definitely got me more interested in checking out more of Ghibli's older work. Um, you know, I were talking about this before we got on, but I've seen a little bit of their more recent by recent I mean within the last 20 years um, work but really just diving into not current animation even if it's not um, Ghibli or not Japanese or even not American um, and just uh, being more exploratory in that sense. Mm -hmm. No certainly it's it's always important I mean I think that's one of the great things we're doing here now with this uh, weekly addition to the podcast it's going to be fun and I think you're you're next week right? Yeah, I uh, I still haven't decided what I want to pick. Uh, maybe I'm always going to hold Killer Bean Forever as kind of my my threat card. And uh, <laughs> what do you least expect it? I'm just going to drop it. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure. But I'm I'm excited to pick something. Continue seeing just kind of what all what all stuff we get into uh, movie wise. Um, you know, I'm I'm sure we'll all pull out some good ones. We have yet to get a bad movie. Um, which I think is good. We made the first round without anything that was just kind of cringy, um, but I'm sure we'll break that at some point. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm excited for it. Um, and this has been a, a good week for movies. We got uh we got nobody coming out this next week with oh, Bob yeah. Odenkirk. We've got uh Godzilla versus Kong the week after that. Uh, Mortal Kombat's not too far behind. Like we're getting into some big punching movies, and I am excited. Yeah, and I mean, you got now 
theaters in the U.S. are slowly coming too. I mean, it looks like 2,300 or so were open this weekend at some capacity at least. So, I mean, we're, we're slowly getting there and you see the virus numbers are going down in the U.S. as well. So, I mean, uh, things might be uh, looking good for the summer. Yeah, I think uh, Black Widow might actually stay firm on that release date at this point. Yeah, I think so too. I think we'll see. I think how we'll see how the first two weeks of April goes. Maybe see how Kong v. Godzilla goes. But yeah, I'd agree. I think they will probably stick to that early May slot. I'm pretty uh, excited to see what happens. Yeah, me too. Um, and with all that stuff coming out, we'll be here talking about it. Um, so this has been myself, Colin, and Brennan. Uh, this has been this week's episode of the Movie Bible Podcast. And we'll be back next week talking about nobody. Um, talking about whatever I recommend. We'll figure that out <laughs> hopefully this evening. Um, but remember, you can always check us out online at moviebubble.com. Thank you.